Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Today is convinced everyone that's here that the Bible has more than enough to cover whatever's written therein. There will never be, there has never been an insufficient fund statement. In the word of God. You can trust it. One of the major criticisms of the Bible is that it was written by man. Well, so was history books. So was science books. So was math books. We have no problem of the written account that tells us that George Washington was the first president. Yet we take serious issues that what is written in the Bible pertaining to Jesus being God in the flesh. It's amazing. And the many things that we put our trust in without even thinking about it. We buy a new car. We receive an owner's manual. The owner's manual tells us it's got four, six, or eight cylinders. Yet, very few of us will go out and count and see if that's true. Many of us don't even know where they are or what they look like. We just simply trust the owner's manual. Likewise, in school, we read in our science book that water is H2O. We might not know what two part hydrogen, one part of oxygen is, but we drink it. We read in our science book that H2O freezes at 32 degrees and boils at 260. But how many of y'all have ever taken a thermometer to validate that scientific law? No, no, we just put our ice cream in the refrigerator, trusting it's going to remain solid. We put our eggs in water, we turn on the heat. Trusting that in five minutes we're going to have some more legs. We believe in the Newton's law of gravity. Einstein's law of relativity. We don't know what E equal MC squared means, but we trust it. So why is it that we have a hard time believing in God's spiritual laws? We are living in a time where we trust almost anything other than the word of God. We trust social media. Come on now, y'all. Get on in it. We trust social media. Have you read on Facebook? Have you seen this on Twitter? We trust the forecast, the weather forecast. We prepare for storms that are coming. We Look at a screen that tells us it's a radar. Many of us, and I hate to say among Christians, even trust Zodiac sign. We won't do certain things or marry certain people based on certain signs that somebody done told us. 
I'm here to tell you that I was born in March. My wife was born in March. We've been married 54 years. So I can tell you that's a lie. We even trust in the stock market. Put our money in and hoping that we're going to get a return. We trust it. In our text, Peter exalts his readers to rely on the word of God. He told them that what's written in it can be trusted. The background of our text, because this is Peter's second letter to an unidentified audience. In his first letter, Peter addressed the needs for the saints of God to hang in there in the face of persecution. Emperor of Rome, Nero, was a madman. Yet this crazy man was very, very intelligent. He was a builder. He just loved to build things, mainly cities. And when he got to the point that in the city of Rome, he had built all he could, he decided to burn the city down so he could rebuild. But the people in the Roman Empire became upset that the city was burned, so Nero, to save faith, blamed the Christian for burning down the city. All hell broke loose within the Christian community. Soon afterward, Peter gets worried, a false teacher who was infiltrating the church at Rome who were causing trouble and confusion, taking advantage of these people's plight. Peter was very much concerned, I want you to hear me, because often times of persecution makes Christians vulnerable to false teaching. The term that Peter is going to use later on is destructive heresies. This teaching included four things. Number one, they denied that Jesus was the Christ. Number two, they twisted the scripture to mean what they wanted to mean. Number three, they mocked the second coming. And number four, they pursued and they taught about immoral lifestyles, basically saying it was okay. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. Peter's solution to combat these erroneous doctrines was that you need knowledge. Through the knowledge of God's word. Peter used this word knowledge 16 times in these three short chapters to tell us how important it was. As we look at the text, the first two verses... Peter just goes over his customary greeting. But he then gets two things to help the readers to stand fast. He gives them God's power and God's promises. Join me now in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Looking at the New American Standard Bible, because it brings out some things that I want to highlight. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us 
everything pertaining to life and godliness through the truth of knowledge of him who called us by his glory, own glorious glory and excellence. Peter is saying the power to navigate through the challenge of life come through the knowledge of God's word. The phrase he has called us refers to Jesus. The word knowledge implies not just a surface awareness about Jesus, but the sharing of life with Jesus in a covenant relationship. He goes on to say in verse 4 this, by these, and by these he's talking about knowing Jesus, he has granted us his precious and magnificent promise so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world of lust. Peter calls these promises precious and magnificent. In the Greek term, this is a pledge of insurance. The word partaker means to become like or come into being. The bottom line is, the more we know about Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. Because we take on his nature. The more we take on Jesus' nature, the more we dilute the power of the corrupt sin nature that we have. That's why Paul later on said, let this mind be in you that's also in Christ Jesus. Well, let's look at this. Since God has provided us spiritual power and granted us these pledge of promises, we as God's people cannot be indifferent or self-satisfied. This requires this discipline. And in verses 5 and 6, Peter uses seven different disciplines. God called for every Christian to live a life of discipline. What he says in the King James, but add to your faith. There must be discipline in prayer. There must be discipline in Bible study. There must be discipline in the use of your time. That means coming when you're supposed to come. There must be discipline in curbing your fleshly desire. Listen, your flesh desire, just because you get saved, ain't going to go away. You just have to capture them under the discipline of control of the Holy Spirit. And there's also got to be discipline in living a sacrificial life. This life is no longer your own. In verses 7 through 12, Peter speaks of Christian character, which is formed by developing that divine nature that we talked about earlier in Christ so that they are fully ingrained in your life. The goal, according to the scripture, of developing Christian character is to keep believers from becoming unfruitful, as the King James say, or in this case, unproductive. In other words, you just don't sit on the stump. You have a purpose for being saved. Getting to our main text. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by the way of reminder. 
knowing that laying aside of my earthly dwelling is intimate, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter knew because God had told him he was going to die. This is 40 years ago. And Peter is sensing now that his time is close at hand. The seriousness that Peter felt was intensified because he knew he was going to die. But he could not assume that the reason was going to remember the truth that he told them when he was there. So he felt it was necessary to, re- to repeat the truth again. But this time he does it in a different way. Hold on a minute, verse 15. And I also would be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Peter basically was concerned that I am going to leave here. I'm going to die. Or you're going to be like the Galatian church that we talked about this morning and forget all the things that you, 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 you learned from me? Because of his passion for the truth, Peter felt the best to remind the readers in written form. So this letter is a written letter passed out to all of the churches in Asia. And through this written form, believers are going to be able to pick it up just like we're picking it up today and remind themselves of the truth of God's word. But before Peter gets into the truth that he wants to bring about, he, he understood that the readers need insurance that his writing was true. So in doing so, he wanted to make sure they understood who was the source of this writing. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power of his coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him in the holy mountain. Peter is emphatically about this account that it wasn't based on myth. Or fables. Apparently, this is what the teachers were, t- were telling them. That everything the disciples told y'all ain't nothing but a myth. Especially this thing about the transfiguration. Here we are, 2019. And many of the well-known seminaries, highly respected theologians, are teaching the same truth when they want to attack the Bible. Remember my first year at Mercer as a student. Old Testament professor, Dr. Shepard, told me that the first 12 chapters of the Bible are nothing more than legends. And this is supposed to be a Christian college. Who professors say the Bible is just a myth. To refute these charges of myth, Peter gave three proofs of the transfiguration. A testimony of sight. Peter, James, and John said they were eyewitness. 
the testimony of hearing. Peter, James, and John said they heard the voice of God. A testimony of physical presence. Peter, James, and John experienced the Shekinah glory of God, which symbolizes God's presence. He gave these three testimonies to validate the truth, but Peter also provided them with a stronger proof. The prophetic word of God. Verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention to. And then he gives an example. As a lamp shine in dark places until the day dawns and the morning star arise in your heart. Lamp shine in dark places. Have you ever had a power outage? You find a flashlight or a candle. Where's your focus at? You don't look at the darkness. You look at that light. He said, you better pay attention to this light. He believes, and that's Peter, that the prophecy of the Old Testament is more reliable than the signs and the wonders and the miracle. So he encouraged them. And King James said, take heed. Keep in mind. Pay attention to them because the false teachers are going to challenge the light or two with the darkness of their lives. The day of dawn refers to the second coming. The morning star refers to Jesus. Look with me in verse 20. Let's carefully examine it slowly. But know this, first of all, first of all, before you get anywhere else, you've got to know this. No scripture, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. When we begin to challenge that man wrote the book that we call the Bible, we're doomed. As Christians. Those that are not Christians already do. Because we can end up making excuses for our immoral lifestyles, our lack of love, our lack of commitment, because we really don't want to believe what it says. Now, you heard the commentary this morning, but Peter's not speaking of the way men explain the Bible. Peter's referring to the way the Bible came into being. Verse 21, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved, prompted, inspired by the Holy Spirit from God. Peter, again, is telling us the scripture didn't come from human origin. The truth is holy men wrote as they were prompted by God. What they wrote was not a concoction of their own ideas. It was not a result of human imagination, insight, or speculation. So with this in mind, Peter issued a warning to his reader, but it also applies to us today as we look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But false prophets arose 
among the people. Just as there will also be false teachers among you. Who will secretly introduce destructive heresy. There it is. Even denying that Matthew who brought them. Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And here's the sad part. Look at verse 2. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them. The way of the truth will be blind. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false worries. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. They're going to pay for theirs. You, you ain't got to worry. They're going to pay for The problem is where you fall in this. When I first looked at this and I saw that word malign, which really means Harmful, destructive lie. But I kind of mislooked at it, and I did, I did some research. You notice how close this word is to malignant? See, malignancy in cancer causes it to spread. A lot of times we blame false teachers for teaching their doctrine, but it's people that buy into it, the spirit of other folks, that really cause the problem. Because just like this church, everybody ain't going to come listen to the preacher. But they will listen to people. So before you begin to spread something about the Bible, make sure you know it's the Bible and not what somebody said. <laughs> just as there were godly teachers in the Christian area, there are going to be false teachers as well. These false teachers go to school, get their degree, they come to church, carry their Bible, use religion, religious phraseology and jargon. They pose as ministers of the gospel, but they teach harmful lies. This morning, the word was brought out about conviction, that when you talk about belief, difference between that and faith is a conviction. But see, that's what's missing in the church. We, we, we're not convinced that the Bible is what God says it is. Oh, we want to believe the good part of it, but we don't want to believe the whole thing. In a day when many are denying the divine authority of Scripture, it's important that the church stands firm. The word of God is without error in its original form. This is not only in doctrine, but in history and in science and in time. There have been many people who have been converted to faith because they tried to refute it. When they looked at the fact, they found out, they discovered that the Bible was real. Alexander Scorby. Charles and Hester are two men who were contracted to read the Bible. Neither one of them claimed to be saved until they translated the Bible or they recorded the Bible in their voice. And both of them came to faith because of the word of God. Since the Bible is without error, and since it is the word of God, 
the Bible can't be trusted. As stated earlier, we find it easier to trust in the law of science than in the word of God. I mentioned about Newton and Einstein. Newton's law of gravity. What goes up must come down. Newton's uh, Einstein law of motion. Object will stay at rest and move until it meets something of a greater force. But one of my favorite laws is the law of aerodynamic that talks about how plane flies. I had the opportunity to fly on the biggest plane, the Air Force of the galaxy, and call it Fat Apple, and I'm still amazed that that piece of metal can get off the ground. But you know what? We trust gravity. So we walk up steps without fear. I want you to think about something. If the earth is round, and we are right side up, that means the people on the other side of the world are upside down. Why ain't they falling? Or maybe we're upside down, they right side up. Why is that when you jump up, you don't keep going up? You don't even think about it, you just get up and start walking. Why? Because you trust it. Einstein's law of relativity of motion. We don't think about it. We go out there and get in that hunk of iron that's in the parking lot, turn the key and push the bell, bell, and it moves forward. And if it don't move forward, we think something's wrong. Why? Because we trust it. We trust aerodynamics. Even though some of us don't like to fly, we will anyway. We go and spend all that money on a ticket. Get on that plane, obey the steward's command to buckle up. Trusting that a plane going to take off and more importantly, it's going to land. So why do we have problem with these spiritual laws that say the wages of sin is death? Why do we have problem with the law that say you're going to reap what you sow? The words of Peter assures us that the Bible can be trusted. So I want to encourage you today, if you can't see his hand, trust his heart. When you can't see his sign, trust what he says. You can trust the Bible. When it says that we will face persecution if we follow Jesus, trust it. Because it also says many of the afflictions are the righteous, but God will deliver them out of them all. When the Bible says we will have troubles in this world, trust it, because the Bible also says that Jesus said, I have overcome the world. When the Bible says that our weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, trust it, because his Bible said that he will keep us in perfect peace. When the Bible says he will supply all our need, trust it, because the Bible also tells us he owned the cattle in a thousand years. When the Bible says he will uphold you with the right hand, trust it. Because the Bible also says that he will fight your belt if you just stand still. When the Bible says he has cast your sins away from the east to the west, trust it. Because the Bible also says he's just and faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, trust it. 
Because the Bible says of Jesus, I came to give my life as a ransom. But I can't leave you today with just that. We say, talk about this boy. Some people come to church, they want to leave here, feel like they got something. Worship ain't about you, no, it's about God. Did he get something? Because the Bible also says this. The soul that sent it, it shall die. And you can trust it. But the Bible also says if you confess and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. Trust it. And this, my brothers and sisters, you can take to the bank. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.